Seminaries, places where men study for the priesthood, have a relatively recent origin in the church. It wasn't until the Council of Trent in the 1500s that a seminary education became a universal requirement for men aspiring to the priesthood. Before that, many men trained for the priesthood kind of like apprentices, simply serving in a parish church until they were deemed ready to be ordained. Still, given that seminaries have existed in their present form for almost 500 years, you would think that the program would be pretty well set. For those many centuries, there was a sense that the formation of the priesthood or for the priesthood rested on three legs. The first, forming men intellectually, meaning making them knowledgeable about the different areas of theology and related disciplines like philosophy, languages, history, and the other things that priests would need to know in their ministry. Second, forming them spiritually, making sure that they were men of prayer and devotion. And third, pastoral formation, meaning making men capable of the spiritual care of others that they would minister to. So that seemed to cover all of the bases. There wouldn't seem to be too many tweaks that one could add to that broad framework. But there are two things that one needs to keep in mind to understand Holy Mother Church. The first is Ecclesia Semper Reformada, Reformanda. The church is always reforming. She is always seeking to form herself anew in the image of Christ. And second, the church is always delving deeper into the mysteries of the Christian faith. Our Christian faith is encapsulated in the person of the incarnate Christ, who is both God and man. By becoming man in the incarnation, Christ reveals God himself to us, his triune nature of three persons totally united as the Godhead. But there is something else that Christ reveals. Christ, in his incarnation, reveals the mystery of man to himself. He gives us a glimpse of who the human person truly is, of our dignity and majesty as children of that same God. And so theology, the study of what God is, goes hand in hand with true anthropology, meaning not anthropology, the social science as it is taught in most universities, simply as the study of culture, but as philosophical anthropology, meaning the study of what man is as a composite of body and soul. So it was in 1990 that Pope John Paul II, now Pope St. John Paul the Great, dropped a kind of bombshell into the lap of the church. He issued the encyclical Pastores Dobe Dabo Vobis, Latin for I will give you shepherds. The encyclical was about the reform of seminaries, something that the church had been particularly struggling with in the prior decades. The bombshell was that John Paul suggested that, in fact, there are not only three pillars of formation, but four, and that this fourth pillar was really the most important because it is the foundation of the other three. He said that before a man can seek mastery in intellectual, spiritual, or pastoral terms, he must possess genuine human mastery and maturity. Thus John Paul wrote, In order that his ministry may be humanly as credible and, ex and as acceptable as possible, it is important that the priest should mold his human personality 
in such a way that it becomes a bridge and not an obstacle for others in their meeting with Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of humanity. Well, I'm still working on it. But the reason I bring this up today is because in the gospel, along with some other passages I'll mention, they help us to understand that for all persons, whether priests or religious or laity, spiritual maturity rests on the bed of human maturity. Spiritual or theological virtues cannot exist except when supported by genuine human virtues. The church recognizes that these human virtues do not rest upon faith per se. Yes, faith can elevate them. But from the earliest days, the church fathers spoke of the virtues of the pagans, or what is now often called natural rather than theological virtue. Meaning the basic human virtues that do not depend upon a Christian religious conviction or the grace of baptism. Plato, Aristotle, and the other Greek philosophers who were pagans spoke of four cardinal virtues. Prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. They were called cardinal, which means a hinge, because they were the hinge upon which human excellence turned. The church, in her wisdom, incorporated these cardinal virtues into Christianity as the basis of ethics and moral theology. Interestingly, in addition to today's gospel readings, there are three other major parables in which Jesus employs the example of the relationship of a master to his servants. In each of the four, Christ relates a story loaded with theological meaning Yet each can also be understood as a lesson about the importance of one of these ordinary human virtues. First, recall the parable of the dishonest steward. This was the man who, knowing that he was soon going to be removed from his position as his master's chief steward, voluntarily gave up the commissions he was owed by his master's tenants. He did this so that when he was removed from his positions, From his position, the tenants of his master would welcome them into their homes. He demonstrated the virtue of prudence, being able to rightly judge that the value of the commissions that he would collect from the tenants in the short run was worth less than the value of their gratitude in the long run. Next, we have the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, where the master of the vineyard paid each worker the same daily wage even though some of them were not hired until later in the day. This shows the virtue of justice, in that the master was concerned that each man at least earned the usual daily wage, even for less than a day's work, because each man needed that money to support his family. Third, we have the parable of the unfaithful servant. This was the parable where the master went away and left a servant in charge of his household. So the servant, flush with his newfound authority, helped himself to the master's rich food and wine and began to mistreat the lower servants. His master returned and punished him severely. This shows the importance of the virtue of temperance, by which we control our desires for sensual pleasure and other temptations. Finally, we have from today's reading the parable of the talents. The servant who buried the talent entrusted to him showed a lack of fortitude, which is the courage to persevere in the face of fear. 
The servant found out that his master was not pleased with a man who was too afraid to take any risks in the service of his Lord. It is important to reflect on the role of the four cardinal virtues in our lives. They are the bedrock of our human character. And just as they are important for priestly ministry, as seminaries learn from John Paul II, they are also an important aspect of the ability of lay men and women to be credible witnesses to the faith and effective evangelists in our modern world. No one will be interested in learning about the faith of a person who is not at least a good example of basic human character. Further, we often have a tendency to overanalyze our sins and failings, to imagine that there must be some complicated spiritual cause of them. But often they are simply failures to properly exercise the most basic patrimony of the human person. I'm speaking again of the natural virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. 